like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker and Alyssa Mwenolapembe. Did I get closer? <laughs> yes. Alyssa, we're going to have to have you on for another 15 or 20 episodes because I'm, <laughs> I'm, trading my, I'm trading my tongue here. We are talking about bias, implicit bias, and childcare and early learning. And in previous episodes, we've talked about expulsion. And this is all coming out of a book Alyssa helped edit uh, called uh, Each and Every Child, available via Amazon and other sources. I've got a link in the show notes for you. Um, Where do we want to pick up? Well, you know, I was just looking at the cover, which if um, hopefully Jeff will have a link, but it's a lovely cover. But one of the things I see on it is a black boy. Um, but I noticed that his skin shade is lighter than it could be. <laughs> and it makes me think this was put on for white people, so they're not afraid. Because uh, it, it's, a, it's a very sweet little boy. And whatever model he is in real life, he's a great kid. But as far as choosing him over another kid, I think this is more of an uh, invitational cover for mm-hmm. people to feel safe to pick up the book. Um, it's It's... You know, we're talking about bias. We're talking about black boys and how to teach them well and how to support them and guide them. And I think we also, when we're talking about brown and black and shades of color, we're also looking at the darker kids who are having even more bias. And that wasn't one of the three Bs we talked about in early episodes, which was big, big big-sized kids who look older than they are, black and boy. But um, I think that's just something to mention that if you've got a whole bunch of kids the, the darker ones are going to have even more bias added on top of the other biases. So I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that, that, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole mouthful, Heather. <laughs> well, if we're going to dig into things, we might as well dig into things. But the truth is the kids are kids and we need to support their emotional needs, their social needs, and we need to be the grown-ups here. We need to be the ones who do this hard work. The kids are just entering this world. And they are inheriting all the history that's ever taken place in this world. They're also inheriting the planet that we have, but they're inheriting our history. And they're stepping into that. They're going to have to learn about it, but they're also experiencing it in their daily life. So what are some things that we can do um, first as families to help kids, particularly black boys, succeed? So I want to start with a story um, that speaks to this whole, this whole topic. So when my daughter was four, um, she was in preschool and she went, I was the director of a program that was, I would say 95% of the 
people there, adults and children, were black. About 5% were white. Um, but she spent half of her day in a program that was the complete opposite. 95% um, white, maybe 95, maybe more. <laughs> um, and we were, I was out of town and she was having a party in her classroom. And my husband was going to go. My husband's African. He's dark skinned. Um, and my daughter's pretty light skinned, um, lightest in our family. Um, and so my, my husband shows up to her classroom for the party and she immediately starts bawling. And so he's texting me. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Maya's crying a lot. I can't get her to stop. I feel really embarrassed. So he leaves actually, he leaves the party, um, because she's so like frantic. <clears throat> so that night, um, after they had all gotten home from school, I, I got on the phone with her and I said, go to your room and shut the door so dad can't hear you. And let's talk about what happened earlier. So she went on to tell me that she didn't want her dad at the party because she was afraid that people were going to make fun of his dark skin. So, you know, I started to, to talk with her about that and talk about, you know, that's your dad, he loves you, nobody's going to make fun of him. But as I was talking to her, I was thinking about what she sees, what she saw every day at that program. Um, and so when I really reflected on it, the hierarchy of their program was educators who were all white and custodial staff who were dark-skinned Africans. And while these were lovely people, you know, they treated my child well, they were, you know, kind to children, they had a great program, she picked up on that hierarchy of dark skin is actually less valuable in this space. Um, and nobody said that to her, nobody had that conversation. And so, you know, my daughter picked up on that, surely other children picked up on that, that unintended message also. And so when I had a conversation with the leadership of the program, you know, I gave them lots of articles of like, you guys have got to talk about this. Um, because I know the easy answer is like, you need teachers with dark skin. Well, that's not really an easy answer because we know there's a teacher shortage. It's hard to find any teachers, let alone be able to cherry pick the ones that you want. But if you can't have a diverse workforce, then you at least need to talk about the realities that children are, are experiencing. Um, and so maybe you're in a program where there aren't any teachers of color that, you know, kids aren't seeing those adults every day. That doesn't mean you can't talk about these topics um, because they're not there in your face every day. Actually, you probably need to talk about them more than a program that has a lot of diversity. Um, and so I think that's my first recommendation is like, you're going to have to lean into those conversations and they're going to be uncomfortable. Um, but you know, if you take the lead of the children, children are ready to talk about these things. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly it. And we need to ask the kids partly to know where they are right now, because on any topic, you know, whether you're talking about their level of knowledge about sexuality or death or race or anything, war, coronavirus, I mean, whatever mm -hmm. it is. We need to ask a few questions to get the conversation going to, to assess, okay, what is my three-year-old's understanding and what's an appropriate next thing to say or to go, what's the next step? Because if you don't know where they are, you don't know what to do next. But start with the kids and follow their lead is, is hugely important for all difficult topics. Yeah, and I think if you pay really close attention to their play, um, you're going to hear these themes coming out because they're going to be playing those out in, in the kitchen area or with dolls or out on the playground. Um, and so if you can just really pay close attention to what they're already doing 
then you can find the ways that you can support that conversation going forward. And, you know, use each other. You, you know, if you are a, in a program where there are other teachers in the building, like share those observations and talk about how you can, as a group, kind of move that dialogue forward. Um, and also partnering with families too, because a lot of times um, <clears throat> families don't know that they can even like have a voice for what's being talked about in the classroom. You know, they might not know that they're an, an equal part of the conversation. And so asking them, like, what's been your experience? What does your child, you know, know about these topics? What conversations have you already had at home? Um, and so then you can partner together to kind of push the, the agenda forward. Another thing we need to think about here is um, what young children's developmental capacity is to, to take all this in because a lot of times you know even if you talk and you do all these things we're talking about um, kids may not quote get it they they're at a developmental stage that will continue to shift and change they need adults around them who have calm information and can help them but they may not just because you as the adult are doing all the right things doesn't mean that the kids are magically going to suddenly have a very advanced stage of understanding all this. Um, because face it, a lot of adults don't fully understand it either. But just as an example, not on race, but on sex and gender, um, you know, uh, even if you have all the examples in the world and say all the right things, kids can be very black and white at this age about all sorts of things. So there was one little boy who was playing with a, a friend at preschool and his mother was a medical doctor. Um, and he would play and say things like, um, girls can't be doctors. I mean, his own mother was a doctor and demonstrated that every day in his <laughs> life. And yet in his mind, only girls could be, I mean, only boys could be doctors. And he showed that in his play with the dolls and the dress ups and everything. But he's, he's somehow coming to terms with all this, but it's not, you know, it's looking very contradictory. So you just because you might be having these conversations doesn't mean that the kids will be mirroring that in their play necessarily. They're going to come to it at their own developmental pace. Yeah, and so one of the, the things that I've learned um, from Nadia Haboneta, who has a, some stories in the book, and then also uh, my mentor, Deb Curtis, is to like call those things out of like, that's not fair. You know, when you see that child that is, you know, saying, well, girls can't do this, well, that's not fair, or people with dark skin can't do this, well, that's not fair, because that's, that's the kind of language that, you know, three and four-year-olds can under, even two-year-olds can understand this idea of fairness. And, you know, maybe you're starting to talk about fairness as like, I didn't get long enough to, you know, be outside and I wanted to be outside longer, but it's lunchtime and we have to go in and, you know, I know that's not fair, but, you know, this is how we have to run our day or, you know, they didn't get the ball for as long as they wanted because another friend, you know, came and, and, and it was their turn. I don't know. Um, but to, to put it in those sorts of, of ideas that are child friendly, you know, practicing this idea of fairness in less um, sticky sorts of topics um, to help you build your own, you know, kind of capacity and, and comfort um, with, with the idea of using fairness and then being able to then bridge that into maybe meatier topics um, that children are, are already bringing to, to the equation. And I think that's just the biggest part is like the kids are already thinking about these things and you not talking about it isn't making them go away. It's just actually hurting them because they don't have 
um, sometimes correct information, um, tools to be able to navigate those, those ideas and those feelings that they're coming across. Right, and kids do pick up on taboos. So if you're not talking about a big important topic, whatever it may be, it, the kids will figure out, oh, this is off limits, I shouldn't talk about it, and it must be scary, and I'm, you know, they often get all kinds of worries inside of themselves, and you don't know that you're causing all these problems, but they're, as you say, they're already thinking about it. They're all trying to sort through, process it, what does this mean for me in my life as I move forward in the world? So what's your advice to people who are, you know, encountering some of these ideas sort of for the first time um, and wondering how to get started with baby steps. Yeah, so I really would refer people to the um, advancing equity statement that NACI put out because it has really great recommendations for educators, for administrators, uh, because those are gonna be the people that are on the front lines doing the work and you know probably haven't done this sort of work before. So it gives really concrete things of like, here's what you can do tomorrow. Um, but I also think we need to just like be gentle with ourselves and know that, you know, you're not going to go from I've never heard of equity or bias before to like being like an anti-bias hero. Like that's just not going to happen. Be realistic. Know that whatever you do that's different tomorrow than what you did today is, is good and you're moving in the right direction. And it's not going to be a straight path. You're going to have some twists and turns and you might back up a little bit because you're going to get scared and, you know, you might stall some progress. But if you just keep moving forward um, and I 100 percent believe that we need to be authentic with children. And if we don't know something like to be honest with them, to say, you know, I really don't I don't understand this either. Um, and here's what I do know about it. Or, you know, that's a good question. Let's let's go figure that out together. Or um, I'm really scared right now because I've never had to talk about this before, but I, I want to talk about this with you. Um, I think that by being honest and authentic with our feelings and with our fears, um, I don't know, I just think that's going to build a more um, empathetic um, understanding future um, instead of always pretending like we know what's going on and we have the right answers. Right. So admit when you don't and figure it out. And, and I think putting ourselves as adults in this vulnerable position is very much like what it's like to be a four-year-old. You know, you're constantly worried about making mistakes and taking risks or putting yourself out there socially. And, and so it's just a little taste of it. I think we forget how scary it can be to be a child. Um, and so we as adults slip into a, a comfort spot. And sometimes we need to shake ourselves out of that to make life for those around us and our whole greater community better. So, yeah, get a taste of what it's like to be a risk-making mistake <laughs> making a three-year-old. And I'm sure in every, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm sure in every community, there's going to be groups of people that are having these conversations. And so maybe your first step is just finding out who those people in your community are so that you can start to have some role models for yourself of how you, you um, work through these conversations. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to having these conversations with kids, we also need to be kind of thoughtful about how those conversations start. I think setting a group of three-year-olds down in circle time and doing a lesson, we're going to talk about, I mean, that doesn't work. I think more organic, small group kind of in the moment stuff works because, I mean, that way, yeah, they're, they're just more real conversations that way than, than me as an adult talking at the three-year-olds or the middle schoolers or whatever it is. It's not a lecture. And Alyssa was saying we need to be authentic anyway. Part of being authentic is having it be a natural part of life or as yeah. natural as you can. 
Yeah, the only the only way I could see this like being like a large group kind of a conversation is like, you know, maybe there's a conflict the day before and to, you know, during a, a regular meeting time to say, hey guys, like this happened yesterday. And I think we should think about how we're gonna do, how we're gonna handle this next time if it happens again. Um, and, and using like a, a problem that you can all work together to solve. But I'm not a fan of any sort of like large group instruction, you know, around like a theme or anything like that. Well, that's the, that's, that's the, that's children. the uh, cultural <laughs> costumes version of conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good. So um, this book again is called Each and Every Child. And as you say, anybody who's a member of NAEYC um, gets a free copy or maybe already has or is getting one soon. But if you're not a member, you can buy it as a regular book. Um, and there's a lot of topics. We focused um, on mostly race and bias in race, um, though we strayed on to other topics, of course. But there's a whole range of topics in this book. And it's, it's good for us all just to be thinking about um, as we work with the next generation and our own generation. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just, you know, it's an essential part of our work. And I think before, you know, the last year, it's been like, well, that's nice, but you know, not everybody has to do that. And I think we just have to really start to see this equity work as like everybody's work, that it's a part of our professional responsibility to, you know, provide equitable environments for children and to um, help support children to have the best experiences even after they leave our programs. Mm -hmm. So Alyssa, if we have listeners who've listened to this uh, three episode arc we've done with you who are thinking, I need more Alyssa in my life. <laughs> Um, is there websites, social media, where, where do people reach out to you? So you can find me, probably the easiest way to find me is on social media. If you look on Facebook, um, you can look up um, Better Together Consulting, and that's where you can find me um, if you would be interested in like having me come speak to a group or work with you. Um, more one-on-one, -on -one. you can find me on Facebook that way. Um, you can Google me. I have like a really long website address, I'm working on it, but <laughs> probably the easiest ways on social media. Um, and, you know, if you're in Indiana, you're going to get my services for free through our quality rating system and TA project. Um, so stay tuned for some of that stuff that's coming out. And I will do my best to put some links to Alyssa in the show notes for all three of these episodes that, that we've done. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I guess that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for having me on. <laughs> Otherwise, we could go on and on and on. Well, so thank you for being on and, and helping people start these big conversations because if you get a little jump start, it can help to um, take these thoughts and ideas back home to wherever you are listening from. Thank you both for having me. There we go. This has been Renegade Rules. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the show with a friend. Thanks for sharing the show with a non-friend. We just like you to share the show. It doesn't have to be with a friend. Thanks for listening. Back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy... 
whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.